are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast. I'm your host, Brian Peacock, with you once again this Thursday episode, coming to you a little bit later in the Thursday afternoon hours rather than early morning. i got some things to take care of, plus there was Warriors playoff basketball, a lot of busy stuff happening Wednesday night, so we're going to get you a fresh podcast for your afternoon Thursday. For some of you like it in the morning, a Friday morning podcast for you to have with your coffee before you head to work and uh, head out for your weekend. We are going to get into some Reuben Foster stuff today. Uh, his legal situation is all done. And the statement from John Lynch, which I love, T.O. trying to strike back at the Hall of Fame. He's actually not going to go to the ceremony. Hmm, that's very interesting. We'll get into a little bit of that and some mailbag stuff. We really have uh, some backup of emails and uh, especially emails to get to. So we'll try to get to some of those as well on today's episode. If you want to find me on Twitter and get involved in those mailbag episodes, hit me up at BD Peacock. You can email the show locked on 49ers at Gmail. Subscribe, rate, review the show. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Uh, we are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. We are on iHeartRadio. Everywhere you find podcasts, you can find Locked On 49ers and all the podcasts on the Locked On Sports Network. So let's start with Reuben Foster. It looks like uh, this will be the last of those reports that involve his court hearings, hopefully for the foreseeable future and for really forever going forward. Uh, I think 49ers fans are kind of tired of hearing about it. Uh, the last bit happened Wednesday, his last court date that was about the misdemeanor gun charge stemming from his February arrest. Um, he had that court date and he pled no contest and was given a sentence of uh, two years probation, 232 hours of community service, of which it's up to him to decide which cause or nonprofit or whatever he wants to work with for those 232 hours of community service and uh, believe a $235 fine. I think the judge said that she wanted to fine Reuben Foster more than that, but that's what that allows. So he only gets $235 fine. And I believe he has to turn over his gun as well. Uh, but the gun obviously was bought legally and is legal in Alabama where he bought it and registered it, brought it with him to California. That gun is a no-no here. Uh, and so that's how he got into hot water with that gun. And they found the gun during the whole process with the the allegations of domestic violence, which have now been dropped and thrown out. So Reuben Foster is done uh, with that gun charge. And then with the earlier marijuana thing that got thrown out, Still, he's still in the program where he's at in the whole substance program because he had a diluted sample at the combine, if you remember, last year. So he's in the system as far as uh, the drugs and the pot thing goes because of the diluted sample already. And the league is just wishy-washy on this. And Roger Goodell really has uh, unlimited reign on what he wants to do, how he can see this. So Reuben Foster could still get in trouble. He could get zero games. They could try to throw four games at him. I really have no clue. I expect around two games spent suspension still for Reuben Foster for some of this stuff. And just judging by the owners in the league and and Goodell, and I, I've, I get the feeling that the pot thing, even though that was dismissed, is going to factor more than the gun charge. Now, that's just my feeling with the matter. Um, and, and who knows if that's true or not. But uh, Adam Schefter reporting after the Plea of no contest to a misdemeanor weapons charge. The NFL is still mulling a multi-game suspension for him per sources. So that's like the most 
that tweet from Adam Schefter is the most exact tweet I've seen that has anything to do with a possible rumor or possible league suspension. That's Schefter's, whoever his sources are, the league is still mulling a multi-game suspension. So multi-game means more than one. Is that two games? Does that mean four games? Does that mean six games? Uh, they're mulling it. So does that mean it could still be no, no suspension at all? Uh, I don't know, but that's still very, uh, very up in the air as far as what the league will do when it comes to Ruben Foster. Uh, from David Lombardi, actually, one of the other things from this sentence of the the probation and the community service, uh, he Ruben Foster is not allowed to have guns during the course of his probation at all. So whether the gun is legal, registered, whatever, he's not allowed to have any guns in his possession uh, for the duration of that two years probation. And then I think my favorite part of this whole thing and is the statement from John Lynch. Uh, and it was very simple. And it was basically like, yeah, okay, it's it, we're done. It, it, this is the statement from John Lynch on Reuben Foster. Quote, the 49ers organization is aware of the recent developments in the legal proceedings involving Reuben Foster and that the matter has come to a conclusion. <laughs> so basically he's like, yeah, we also saw the ruling today. And, and it's this we're done. We're done talking about this. So that was the end of it for hopefully for Ruben Foster and this offseason saga of some legal issues, the worst of which, which were completely thrown out. He looks like he was 100 percent innocent of that domestic violence charge. So that's the best news of, of all of this with Ruben Foster in the offseason. The fact he's back at practice and hopefully is uh, getting back in shape and will be a huge factor for the 49ers defense going forward and he has no more problems and then none of the rest of it's really going to matter after whatever suspension that should be somewhat short if he does get suspended at all during the 2018 season. We'll get into a little bit more Ruben Foster on the field. Uh, there's some mailbag questions involving he and his uh, new linebacker mate that was recently drafted. But first I want to talk a little bit about Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens keeping himself relevant as he kind of always has tried to his entire career uh, post and during the NFL. Uh, Terrell Owens will not attend Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Uh, this was announced yesterday. Uh, Owens was voted into the Hall in February after being denied in his first two years of eligibility, which I think is the key to this whole thing, is that he feels slighted that he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, and I agree. I think he deserved to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, even though I think that distinction is kind of silly, it's taken on kind of an idea of its own. But in a statement released Thursday by his publicist, Owens said, quote, while I am incredibly appreciative of this opportunity, I have made the decision to publicly decline my invitation to attend the induction ceremony in Canton. After visiting Canton earlier this year, I came to the realization that I wish to celebrate what will be one of the most memorable days of my life elsewhere, Owens added. Uh, at a later date, I will announce where and when I will celebrate my induction. So it's unclear what he's going to actually do. He's just going to hang out with uh, friends or family or something. He doesn't, which I don't, I'm not sure how many of those he even has. <laughs> um, um, the Hall confirmed that the former All-Pro wide receiver informed them he would not be on hand August 4th for the enshrinements. And uh, the Hall of Fame president and CEO David Baker said, quote, We are disappointed, but will respect Terrell's decision not to participate in the enshrinement. While unprecedented, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the nearly 5,000 volunteers, and the entire community are committed to celebrating the excellence of the class of 2018 that will kick off the NFL's 99th season. He went on to say, 
quote, as we do not want to detract from this great honor being enjoyed by the seven other members of the class of 2018, Bobby Bethard, Robert Brazil, Brian Dawkins, Jerry Kramer, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, and Brian Erlacher, their family, friends, and fans, the Pro Football Hall of Fame will have no further comment on the decision made by Terrell Owens. I wonder if Owens like couldn't find anybody to give his speech. He like asked <laughs> everybody he knew that that he might want to give the speech, and they're like, "Nah, I'm cool." Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, "I just won't go." <laughs> is, I'm sure we'll hear more about why and, and what's going on here. But uh, Owens is just kind of a weirdo. I think is the bottom line here. Uh, Owens entered the league as the third round pick. Of the San Francisco 49ers in 1996, developed into a star. He had the catch, too. A lot of talk this week about the catch. And Dwight Clark, Owens had the catch part, two, A 25-yard touchdown catch to beat Green Bay in 1999. His 177 yards and a comeback win against the Giants in 2003. And his nine catches for 122 yards in the 2004 Super Bowl against New England. Just seven weeks after breaking his leg or some of his uh, memorable career Achievements, he rakes second to Jerry Rice with 15,934 yards receiving and is third on the all-time touchdowns receiving list with 153. Just in case you'd forgotten where T.O. was at, you know, career-wise and, and historically as a receiver. I mean, dudes was a, was crazy and made headlines for other reasons, but he put up numbers on top of everything else. So to me, it's like, yeah, is he trying to, is he just being weird? Does he just want to be in the headlines or is he really pissed off and trying to stick it to the hall because he didn't get voted in right away? Owens has been heavily critical of the voting process. And when he failed to be elected in 2016 and 2017, among the reasons he fell short were his being considered a divisive teammate and negative presence in the locker room. This is an interesting quote from the Philadelphia Daily News, Paul Domowicz, obviously, T.O. played in Philly, and so uh, a lot of writers over there are very familiar with T.O. And uh, this writer, Domowicz, says, quote, I think T.O. actually was disappointed when he got in this year. I think he was happier when he got snubbed and could play the part of the persecuted victim and moan on every radio talk show that was willing to bring him on about the unfairness of the process. Maybe he was worried that he would become forgotten after the induction ceremony. This way he gets his gold jacket but still will be remembered as the one guy who told the hall to go stuff it. Um, that's a pretty interesting angle from a writer in the Philly area and probably not all that far off. I mean, there's there's really no telling sometimes what goes through Terrell Owens' head and, and why he actually does things. But uh, that that does kind of sound very like a very Owens thing to do, actually. Uh, Jarrett Bell, one more from this, uh, one more little nugget from this story. Jarrett Bell, he's one of Owens' supporters. He was uh, on the selection committee for 21 years, and he said he was at a loss to understand why Owens would decline to attend the inductions. Uh, he says, uh, think of the other members of the 2018 class. They deserve their upcoming honor and the celebration. There's no stain on them because someone doesn't want to show up. Think of the players who gave their all to the sport, including many worthy of Hall of Fame consideration who will never be enshrined. Think of the family members of former players, coaches, and officials many of whom have passed away, pushing for their loved ones to receive special recognition for career accomplishments, then think of Terrell Owens in that order. So that's from Jared Bell. Uh, Owens did thank the 49ers, the Eagles, Cowboys, Bills, and Bengals. Kind of forget about those Bills and Bengals years for T.O. Ocho Cinco and T.O. on the same Bengals roster, which was, was kind of nutty, although both of them were kind of done at that point. In his statement, he did thank all of his former teams and called becoming 
a Hall of Famer, an honor to be part of such elite company. This honor is something that I will cherish forever. So T.O. saying that he appreciates the honor, but also kind of just wants to do his own thing. And uh, maybe it's just him wanting to be in the headlines. Maybe he's really ticked off because he didn't get in right away. There's no way of knowing what's going on in T.O.'s head. But uh, he won't be at the ceremony, won't give a speech. I'm sure he would have shed some tears. That would have been an interesting one to see who he chose to come up and introduce him at the ceremony. So there will be a T.O. in the hall, just no T.O. at the hall induction. And I guess T.O.'s doing it right. We've talked about him twice already on the show. First with the uh, the Madden thing and deciding he wants to be uh, in a Cowboys uniform on the cover of Madden rather than a 49ers uniform and now not going to the Hall of Fame induction. So we're talking about him in June of 2018, which is not a time that uh, I would have expected to be talking much about Terrell Owens. But enough about T.O. Let's move on to 49ers current wide receivers. One more quick note before we dip into the mailbag a little bit. This from 49ers.com, a Joe Fan article, he caught up with wide receivers coach Mike LaFleur, who had some notes on 49ers wide receivers Dante Pettis, Richie James, and undrafted free agent rookie Stephen Dunbar. So he had this to say about the rookies. The number one thing he, he mentioned about Dante Pettis, obviously, he said the 49ers really thought highly of him. And obviously, if you move up into the second round to draft a wide receiver, he was the fourth receiver taken in this draft. Uh, so obviously, the 49ers liked him a lot. He said that the thing they loved about him is that he popped on film because he showed that he could do a little bit of everything, slot, outside, and he picks up stuff very quickly, which they liked about him so far in practice, very good in the classroom. Uh, but the number one thing I took away from this is that he's already been practicing at both outside wide receiver positions, so the X, the Z, and also in the slot. So they're just throwing everything at him and seeing what he can handle. And if he can handle it all, he's going to be the number one backup and potentially starting some games at any one of those three positions because he's absolutely a fit in the slot with his quicks. But he's got enough size. He can go up and get the ball. He's got some speed for the outside as well. Uh, so I like that about Dante Pettis. He might be uh, a guy who's working in behind Pierre Garçon at the X position uh, on the line of scrimmage. Uh, he, he's quick enough to get away from that that press coverage. I just want to see if he's got the strength, if someone locks onto him, if he's able to get away from that press coverage. I think maybe his best spots might be where he's at the flanker spot, where he's off the line of scrimmage a little bit, has a little bit of extra room to maneuver without getting jammed right at the line of scrimmage. Or, of course, I think he would be a fine fit in the slot as well. So Dante Pettis working at all three wide receiver positions already in his rookie offseason. Moving on to Richie James, what Michael Fleur saw in Richie James is very similar to what I saw on tape from Richie James at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, LaFleur said, quote, what you saw from his college tape is just a gritty competitor. People see him as a slot receiver, but he's got the speed to play on the outside, too. That's been really encouraging. He's a guy who is locked in and focused during meetings. So, yeah, the right attitude, the mentality of Richie James, and you could see him even as a smaller receiver playing big. I really loved that about him in college and uh, he's showing that off already with the 49ers. And then on to Stephen Dunbar, bigger bodied wide receiver, a undrafted free agent, goes about six foot three out of the University of Houston. LeFleur about Dunbar said, quote, a lot of guys didn't know too much about him when he came out. We noticed him right off the bat from his tape. T.C. McCartney, our quality control coach, noticed his hands and his range when the ball is in the air. Uh, so, yeah, that 6-3 frame, being able to go up and get the ball. And uh, he was noted as someone who caught a touchdown pass during the red zone period last week at OTAs. So, Stephen Dunbar, a dark horse, probably long shot to make the 53-man roster right out of camp as someone they could stash in the practice squad as well. And really one of the few receivers they have on the roster that has that size at 6-3. So, 
a solid crop of rookie wide receivers that the 49ers are going to be working in there and getting a lot of competition with last year's undrafted rookie in Kendrick Bourne. And of course, the holdovers from last year in Pierre Garçon, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, and Aldrick Robinson. And some other guys you can't completely write off. Aaron Burbridge, he was dinged up, but he's been a good special teams guy. So at the bottom of the roster, we talk about it a lot, a lot of depth, but the bottom of the roster, those guys have to play special teams. So that's going to be a big factor as well in who's going to make that final 53, who can excel on special teams as well as work in there on the offense. Okay, we got some time here. Let's uh, dip into that Locked On 49ers mailbag. And a quick reminder, you're listening to Locked On 49ers. Biggest story of the day today, Reuben Foster, all done with his court proceedings. T.O. deciding not to be involved with the Hall of Fame induction process. Remember, you can learn more at LockedOn49ers.com, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the biggest stories from local experts. I want to kick off this mailbag with my guy, JC, who says I never answer his questions. And I do get too many emails and tweets to actually go with uh, on the podcast. So I do apologize to those of you who don't get your questions answered all the time. And I do appreciate everyone who sends in mailbag questions or just generally uh, says hi or whatever on Twitter or via email or on Facebook. So uh, JC, I do want to get to your question here. Uh, and I'm, I might not have got, actually, you know what? I think I might've answered either this question or one similar before. Uh, so JC, you got to make sure you listen to every podcast every day here because I might've gotten to this and maybe why I didn't get to it is I answered something similar, but um, I do have a lot of people asking about this this idea, and um, JC's question is, do you think, now that Reuben Foster has been cleared of his charges, if he and Fred Warner can produce at a similar level or at least resemble Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis? Thank you for the question, JC. I, I It's really hard for me to go with that comparison just because it's so lofty. And I know Reuben Foster was a first-rounder like Patrick Willis, and I know Fred Warner was a third-round draft pick like Navarro Bowman, but those two guys were so special, so special together, and both of those players on Hall of Fame paths. Patrick Willis, I don't know if he'll get to the Hall of Fame just because he called it quits a little bit soon and and maybe didn't rack up the longevity and you know just pure numbers and, and play for long enough. But to me, he's a straight-up Hall of Famer, no doubt. Navarro Bowman also on that path uh, to being a potential Hall of Famer. So... Those are those are lofty comparisons, and I just I can't go there yet. Even though I think these guys both have a ton of talent, and maybe they could get there, but we haven't even seen them play together yet on the field. Uh, now we know Ruben Foster is going to at least be out there for. I mean, he's got some injury stuff, not just the the suspension possibly hanging over his head. So you got to have Ruben Foster staying healthy out there on the field. We got to see where Fred Warner develops. Uh, if I was throwing a comparison out right now, I would hope that they're, you know, just because of the the scheme and maybe not quite as lofty of a goal to get to in a lofty comparison as Willis and Bowman is Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, even though Bobby Wagner is on his own, a pretty crazy trajectory right now is one of the better linebackers in the NFL. But I, I, I hold pause and I, I can't make that comparison yet of Ruben Foster and Fred Warner to, to two guys who, um, it, it should take a while. It should take some serious time, some serious production to get to a level where someone can start putting those guys in the same sentence with Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, because those guys were just special. Let's stay on the topic of Fred Warner and go to Rodney's question via email. He said, I think I owe you and Nick a pizza for a poorly written email question last week. Well, no, that's okay. Uh, I get a lot of poorly written stuff. Sometimes I, uh, when I read it for the first time on the air or uh, for the second time, it's like uh, confusing. But um, yeah, I, I, I can usually self-edit very quickly on those questions. Uh, no problem with that, Rodney. Uh, he said regarding linebacker Fred Warner, 
after comparing him to strong safety Cam Chancellor, thoughts on Warner perhaps playing the Chancellor role and Jaquaski Tart playing free safety? Hmm. Um, that is not completely insane because Fred Warner did play sort of an overhang outside linebacker slash safety role in college a lot. And Rodney put some numbers here. This is from NFL Draft Scout. These were Cam Chancellor and Fred Warner's height, weight, speed numbers coming out of college. Cam Chancellor, 6'3 and 1 quarter, 231 pounds. He ran a 4'6'9'40. This is Fred Warner this year in the draft. Eighth of an inch taller. He was 6'3 and 3 eighths. Uh, five pounds heavier, 236 pounds, and ran a 464, so a little faster, actually, than Cam Chancellor coming out of college. And, and Cam Chancellor, I remember when he was coming out of Virginia Tech, just this weird, massive safety that nobody knew what to do with. And so he fell to day three, and then you realize, oh, yeah, he's still a stud, and he's still this beastly guy. Fred Warner, uh, slightly bigger and actually worked out a little better speed-wise. But um, I don't think he couldn't play that role, but I just don't think that's how they envision him. So I just don't expect him to be used in that sort of way. The 49ers are working him in at linebacker, and I think that's that. And uh, he's going to have some responsibilities. He might play some outside backer, and maybe he'll overhang sometimes and be out and on tight ends and do some similar stuff. Uh, so there, those positions aren't dissimilar, I don't think, depending on the call and depending on the situation. But Fred Warner's going to be a linebacker, and that's that. And they'll probably have him get maybe even a little bit bigger because he's got on that frame a little bit of room to grow. Let's go to Tyrone, who's got an email. He said, what's up, BP? Thanks for taking my email. Uh, a little ballsy of you, Tyrone, thanking me before I actually did take your email. But I took it anyway. Uh, maybe you can add a little Dr. Dre, keep your heads ringing to the mailbag. Oh, okay. Mailbag intro song. Okay, uh, we had a sounder that was suggested by a listener. I think we denied after the first time using it. Let's try this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. Uh, one question I have, Dr. Dre, though, L.A. guy, right? Is he a Raiders fan? I know Ice Cube's always rocking the Raiders hat. I've seen Dr. Dre wearing the Dodgers cap, which I'm not hugely fond of. And I also don't want to get sued. So I don't know how some of this uh, super popular music I would be able to use on here. So I cut it off after a couple seconds there. I think that's the max I can I can get out of something like that. So I might have to uh, be careful what kind of audio and, and music I'm actually using here on the podcast. I, I think we got to keep this close to the bay if we're going to do a hip-hop thing. Maybe someone who's really repping the 49ers out there uh, that we're using for a mailbag uh, sounder, but I like that. I, that's going to ring in your question for today. So uh, thank you, Tyrone, for the suggestion. He said, I'm probably one of the few who's not sold on the 49ers receiving core. So my question is, if you compared our receivers up against Dez, who would you choose? I would definitely take Dez over all of them, including Garcon. Thanks. Uh, Tyrone, I don't know if I would take, I mean, if you just wanted one guy to get open and throw one pass, I would take Dez over most of the guys on the 49ers, depending on what route you're trying to run there. Um, if you're in the red zone, I mean, that's Dez's athleticism. He wasn't separating from guys the last year or so. And he's had a lot of injuries over his career. And I think Garcon also had some injuries. So we'll see what Garcon looks like coming back in 2018. But uh, before last season, I would have said, yeah, I would agree with you. But uh, maybe with the attitude, just judging by the fact that nobody jumped up quickly to sign Dez and that the Cowboys, despite his talent and despite what he's done for them, were willing to move on from Dez. Uh, I think a lot of teams around the league have spoken and Dez isn't as highly thought of as maybe he once was. And maybe what you would think looking at his, uh, his career resume and his name value. And I think the 49ers have spoken by not bringing in someone like Dez that they're okay with developing their talent. They want speed. They want athleticism. They want guys who can separate 
And uh, you mentioned Dez and Garcon. Yeah, maybe if they were both free agents, you take Dez over Garcon. I think Garcon's already in-house. And I think they're maybe even too similar uh, because they're, you know, sort of stronger wide receivers. Uh, they have they play with attitude. And since Garcon is somebody that Kyle Shanahan already knows and loves his attitude and loves his work ethic, um, he's going to stick with his guy there. And, and he has – so I, I think they'd probably even sign Garcon over Dez if both were free agents right now. Uh, that's just a guess. But – I get your point, and name value is not high with the 49ers receiving core. And I think if you looked at sort of people around the league that aren't close to the 49ers, they would really look at the 49ers receiving core and be like, oh, yeah, that's a bad unit. That's one of the leagues maybe you know, in the bottom half of the league as far as wide receiving cores. And I wouldn't really argue with that because they still need to produce and they still need to prove where they're at. But the 49ers have obviously been okay with the talent they have there, and they want to develop their own guys if they thought they needed to add that big-bodied presence and someone who could come in and start right away, they would have done it in free agency even before Dez was cut. And I thought that's the path they were headed on. I was all about them signing Allen Robinson. So uh, I don't disagree with your take there completely, and I thought they might have wanted to, but it's it's clear that they don't believe it that way. So I, I get where you're coming from on that, and Dez is definitely a more talented receiver, has a better resume than a lot of guys in the 49ers, maybe all of them. So on one hand, you're kind of right. But then when you when you say, OK, well, who do you kick out for Des Bryant? Do you want to pay Des Bryant the money? And attitude wise, does he fit in with the locker room and what the 49ers are trying to build? And then at that point, it'd be like, OK, I, I, maybe I wouldn't trade any of them for Des Bryant. All right. We got time for one more mailbag question. Oh, I do want to say thank you to Andrew, who told me about the Tim Tam Slam. For those of you who aren't familiar with Tim Tams, they're a delicious chocolatey Australian snack. Actually, my wife and I are very fond of them. We found out about these things when we were in New Zealand, and you can find them here over in the States as well. Uh, There's something called a Tim Tam slam, and uh, that is when you bite off diagonally the opposite corners from a Tim Tam. It's like a, a cookie thing with some cream inside. The dark chocolate flavor is where it's at for me. And then you sip, like you dip or sip of the warm drink into the middle of the Tim Tam, and then when it softens, you slam the whole thing. I think that is the gist of how this Tim Tam slam things work. I haven't tried that because I didn't have any Tim Tams left when I learned about the slam, but I think along with coffee, that'd be a fantastic combination. So I might have to try the Tim Tam slam. Thank you very much, uh, Andrew, for that. And maybe a Tim Tam slam would be a good name for the 49ers secondary. I know Joukowsky Tart tweeted out that he's going to give away a jersey to a fan who names the new secondary and gives them a nickname. And everybody in the secondary is going to sign this jersey. And so uh, I would love to hear some of your guys' ideas for that. I'm going to go with the Tim Tam Slam. I like that. And apologies for getting this podcast out late. Uh, A couple of people on Twitter, uh, one guy, John, sent a picture of his dog. And he said his puppy is patiently waiting for today's podcast so we can go outside and and take the dog for a walk and go for a listen. So (laughs) I apologize to John and his puppy who are waiting on the pod to go on their daily walk. And then uh, Brett chimed in, said, I was supposed to be at work this morning at 7 a.m. My boss is wondering where I am. Told him I can't drive to work without listening to Locked On 49ers. <laughs> so I uh, appreciate those guys. And the pod is on its way. And if you're listening to this, it's already out and posted. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Going to get out of here. Um, be back next week. We're going to be talking to Dylan DeSimone. We're going to be talking to the fellas from... Locked on Seahawks, dipping more into the crossover stuff and and talking about the NFC West and some of the biggest competition the 49ers have out there and see where uh, they think the Seahawks are at compared to the 49ers and maybe talk to them a little bit about how their feelings are about Richard Sherman now donning 
the scarlet and gold. All right, we're going to be back next week. Talk to you guys then right here on Locked On 49ers.